Welcome, everybody. Uh, today, I'm going to be talking with Sandy Page. Um, and Sandy is a bit unusual for one of our guests in that he does not actually have a scientific background. Although he, you have been in biotech for, uh, for well over a decade, um, first as a director at Jackson Laboratories, the, the mouse model company. Um, and now as the CEO of Explora Biolabs, uh, which is gonna be what we're talking a lot about. Um, and that's a company that provides vivarium services for growing biotech companies. Um, and then, you know, as, as I think I mentioned, I'm gonna be setting a timer for our 17 minutes of science. And so I'll start it right now. Um, no pressure, but it will, it'll fly by. Um, so, so welcome. You know, I was really uh, enjoying learning a lot more about Explora Biolabs and the, the services that you offer both, um, you know, actually vivarium maintenance services and experimental services, either in your own facilities or for other companies. And I was kind of seeing it as like a, a Venn diagram of what you offer, which was like expertise and sort of that compliance factor. Um, is that is that ring true to you, or is there another part of that Venn diagram I'm kind of missing? No, that's a that's a great way to look at it. And first of all, thanks for having me. This is kind of fun. Um, haven't had a chance to do something like this before, so so I appreciate you you including us. And and you're right. I don't have a scientific background, and I always try to prep everything I do in this business with that because you can't pretend, or you can never pretend to be something you're not. But especially surrounded by PhDs. Um, just be very clear, I don't, I, I was a medieval history undergrad, um, so that's, you know, really not very helpful to anything I, I do anymore. Um, but I did spend a decade at the Jackson Lab, and, and that's where I kind of cut my teeth on, on learning about the business of science. And uh, as long as I didn't try to be a scientist, you know, it, it turned out to be a pretty good way to spend a decade. It's a wonderful place. To, to your specific question, um, we do solve this really big problem for small to medium-sized biotechs, which is where do I, how do I get my animal research done uh, quickly and efficiently and, um, and repeatably? The, really the key scientific question as it relates to animal research is repeatable science because that's what's uh, very difficult to do. And uh, we can talk more about it, but, but but we, we provide that solution a number of different ways, either by providing for the facilities for people to use or providing the, the labor and the skills for people to use, or by sometimes even doing the research for them if that's what they would prefer. And lots of mixes in between of helping them do their own research, um, but not doing everything. And it's a wonderful combination of things. So we get to see great science, we get to enable great science, and we do it, uh, you know, across a broad spectrum of therapeutic areas. Hmm. And, and so when people, when customers are coming to you, do you think that they recognize that their biggest barrier is um, repeatability? Or are they coming to you with like, um, you know, I just need this one certificate and I need your help getting over it. And then they find out that, that they get the improvement in the scientific realm. Good, good question. I think... The answer is, of course, that it depends. We have all sorts of folks coming to us. If, if it's a couple scientists who have just spun out an idea from Berkeley, for example, and have never done it before, they may have 
really no idea even what they don't know, you know, and, and they think that it should be easy. On the other hand, if we have a very sophisticated scientist who has been a CEO and is on his or her third startup, they may have a very clear idea of what's ahead of them and exactly what they need. So we have all kinds of conversations. Um, you know, I, I think the, what, what is common amongst all of them is they know the science is hard. <laughs> to do us to, to create a new drug from start to finish, most of them fail. And they can fail for many reasons. And it's not always the science, you know? Um, there's many very good drugs, unfortunately, that just didn't get through the process because of bad timing or bad execution, or, or maybe the money wasn't there really at the moment that they needed it. Um, and so we don't try to, try to be the innovators. We're not creating the IP, but we're trying to grease the skids of the entrepreneurial process so that the drug development process and that you know, can, can run more seamlessly and smoothly and flexibly and efficiently and repeatably. Huh. That's an interesting point that, um, you know, by greasing the skids, you're helping, you know, overcome a critical barrier for getting some of those drugs to market. I know that um, from when I talk to other companies, that sometimes just the, the right facility, the right square footage, the right anything at the right time is you know, suddenly their the biggest problem. Right, right. That facility problem is a is a amazingly um, difficult one to solve, and and it's made more difficult. You know, part of the way people are solving it is by is by clustering. So you think about San Francisco, you think about Cambridge, Massachusetts, Seattle, up by you, uh, around uh, Lake Union in particular, um, San Diego, where we are headquartered very, very dense clusters of biotechs. Um, and, and you can measure that by number of biotechs per square mile. You can measure it by density of life sciences per square mile, lots of different ways to measure it. Um, but they're clustering because of, of the talent need. But what that also does is creates a supply and demand problem. It's sometimes for this facilities, the lab and the office that is needed. There's three things you need. You need lab space, wet lab, dry lab, you need office space, but then you also need this vivarium thing sometimes, and roughly half the half the startups needed at some point, and and it's a very different thing than the first two, and so that's the one we try to help them. Hmm. Uh, that must have um, there must have been some really unique pressure on you. I mean, definitely your customers, but on you and the onset of the the pandemic. Um, I mean, so what was that? What was that like? I mean, was it just pressure, or did you also find opportunity amongst the? But you're right, both. Um, you know, the, the almost a year ago now. I mean, March, we we all began to sort of go, oh no. Um, and those of us running companies, whether we're in biotech or not, began to try to figure out whether we're going to get to keep running. In in biotech and the part of biotech we have worked in, we were very quickly in California at least, um, but I think in other parts of the country, determined to be essential services. And so we came at it from a couple different angles so from a veterinary standpoint, uh, there, was a, there was an argument. The NIH pretty early on said definition of essential including you know, animal caretaking. And, and that allowed us to continue moving a lot of important research forward. What I can tell you for sure is clients who are using our facilities and our people were able to keep their research going during the last year at a much higher rate 
than people who were running their own vivariums because they tended to um, they tended to close down small vivariums at a much higher rate than the ones that we run that are at scale because we have dozens of employees who can be flexibly and fung fungibly inter, inter um, uh, sort of replace one another when necessary. We have enough people that when a handful get quarantined uh, and are out for two weeks or however long it takes to clear a quarantine, uh, we have enough people to do the right thing for, for the science and the research, the animals and all the important things that need to continue. So we have found that our clients have, have continued their research forward at a much higher rate than those who are trying to do it all on their own. Hmm. Uh, that must have been a unique position for yourself because on the one hand, you were making it easier for your clients to say to stay safe. Um, but that's also just a lot of responsibility and, uh, and you know, requirement and safety protocols for you. It is. And, and I'm not sure all industries have the luxury we have because the vivarium itself happens to be one of the best places you could work during a pandemic. And for those who don't know what a vivarium is, you, this is a basically a hospital setting with the HVAC requirements, 100% outside air, um, many, many air changes an hour. Uh, people wear PPE well before COVID. You, you, you wore lab coats, uh, disposable lab coats, you wore masks, uh, sometimes hair bonnets in some conditions, rubber gloves are all part of the everyday job of our people. And so we didn't really have compliance problems of introducing those things. We did have trouble getting a hold of enough masks and we still don't have enough N95 masks, but we can get by. So, so the work environment for our people is the safest place they spend any time. And the people that we've had who have come up positive for COVID, 100% have been contact traced back to the home environment. So the home environment for most of us is the one we worry the most about and that we spend most of the time talking about with our employees, trying to get them to, you know, to do the right thing at home too. Well, um, somewhat shifting gears, uh, you know, because you come from a non-scientific background, um, you know, I'm, I'm sort of interested in what you saw, like when you left um, a, your non-scientific career and join Jackson Laboratories, like what was the biggest surprise for you uh, during that, that transition? Yeah, so it, it was, it's probably a bigger contrast than you even, you even know because I, I was, we're living and working in Maine where I grew up. I was running a 75 year old, basically think of it like a paper mill in a one mill town on the side of a big river. And, um, you know, we had one kind of employee who was of a certain age and a certain demographic uh, and a certain amount of education, and they, we were—they're all the same, right? We're all—that's what—that's what the small mill, mill town in rural America is often like, particularly in Maine. And so then I come to California to run the Jackson Labs Life Science Biotech facility, and all of a sudden I have all these people who are much trend younger. The demographic is absolutely 50-50 male-female, much more diverse much more highly educated in terms of um, the high end and PhDs and, uh, and much more turnover of employees. Mm. So it's a very different, different challenge um, for, for a manager. And, and I was really lucky to have worked for, at that time, the Jackson Lab and now Explorer. We were, we're doing really important work. So you can tie 
and a motivation to a mission that matters and it's meaningful and and that helps. Hmm. That's, that's really that's really interesting. I would have expected you to say something more on the on the sciences side, but this demographic is fascinating. So now I'm super curious to ask you the next question, which is: so you started in biotech a little over ten years ago. Like, what's the biggest evolution or change from there to to where you are now? Oh boy, um, there's a lot of different ways to answer that, whether I come at it from a, you know, a very careful scientific perspective where, I, where we can talk about things like CRISPR and personalized medicine and all the changes that are coming, um, that have come over the last 10 years. And I think the next 10 will be even greater in that regard. Obviously the impact of, of you know, the enormous data capacity associated with the genomics uh, and, and what that means and what that's gonna do for us. Uh, over the last decade has, has light years different. Um, and, and I think there's a recognition, and this has happened over the last five years and really happened over the last year, that biotech is in some ways the, the place to be in the next decade. I mean, there is so much power and so many tools that are now coming of age uh, that can efficiently and entrepreneurially put to be, be put to good use. And there are now systems coming in place to sort of drive biotech innovation that, that really haven't existed efficiently or, or well for the biotech space historically. They've been in place for, think of like t Silicon Valley and tech. The, the systems, whether it's the capital, the intellectual capital, the financial capital that drives tech innovation, those things are all shifting now towards biotech. And I think we're gonna, I mean, that's good, right? Because it's one thing to get a new app uh, or a new phone, but it's, it's another thing to get a, a new injection that, that will actually increase your health span for, for another five years or, or cure COVID or some of the many other things that our clients are working on. Hmm. That, that is true that you, um, just because of uh, the service you offer and the clients you have, you have a unique snapshot into you know, the tools and where everybody's pushing. Um, and you kind of gave some hints of this, but how do you think things are going to be different for us as people? Um, so not as companies, not the technology, but as patients ourselves in, you know, 10, 20 years from now. Boy, I got to be careful with that because I, I looked briefly at some of the other people you've spoken to and they actually know what they're talking about in that regard. Uh, as, as you do, I, I, I just, I think the best thing I can say is I think <laughs> personalization and customization of, um, uh, of some therapeutics and the speed at which others can be developed new, even if they're not personalized. So two categories, uh, you know, highly personalized medicine that may be genomics based, customized to you, or medicines that are developed much more quickly. And the Moderna COVID vaccine designed well, almost like exactly a year ago over a weekend, right? Mm -hmm. uh, is, is another example of how technology can develop something very, very quickly. It's taken almost a year to roll it out, which points to other bottlenecks, whether it's regulatory or manufacturing. But, um, but that speed is, is something I think we're gonna see more of. And um, in, in the innovation kind of, 
uh, ecosystem that needs to be in place for that to take to happen is kind of something that we contribute to. Hmm. That's well. Thank you for that. Um, so my my last question for you, and perhaps it's the the most important one, is: um, Did you say medieval literature? <laughs> is that did I get that right? Uh, yes, it was. It was. Uh, if you want to be specific and put me on the spot, it was 11th century French monasticism. Uh, <laughs> it was my it was my Middlebury College uh, honors essay uh, thesis, I guess. And uh, yeah, it, 11th century French means Nor Norman monks, um, and uh, it also means 1066, which was I think William the Conqueror. And so it was a you know, it was a fun period, but I, I don't know why I picked it. You know, it was, it, it was a path. It was a path to a degree at the time that. Yeah. You know? uh, but but no, I, I I very quickly went from there to a couple of different things and and ended up uh, as a as a pure stroke of luck stumbling into science and it, it mattered to me uh, then and now. Then I I had a a wife who had cancer and this was a chance to pivot into something that made a real difference. And, um, and, and, and it has, and it's felt really good to be able to make a contribution if, even if I was never gonna look through a microscope or, or play with HeLa cells. Hmm. Uh, that's amazing. Well, and, and definitely Jackson Laboratories and Explorer Biolabs are, um, it seems like really having an impact on the industry and the better for having you. Well, thanks. I'm lucky to be a part of it. And you know, you know how it always is with guys. We do these things, you and I both. And the truth is there's all those people <laughs> back there doing the real work uh, every day. And for us, it's our employees who are, who are changing cages or uh, our clients who are doing the, the real invention. So we just feel lucky to be a part of it. Yeah. All right. Well, with that, that was our, our timer. Um, 17 minutes flew by quick. And uh, if you have any good um, uh, books to recommend on medieval uh, French monastic uh, literature, let me know. Um, we'll share them on our blog. I'll see what uh, I can find. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, thank you very much. And thank you, everybody who tuned in. And uh, we'll see you next week. Thanks again, Matt.